I bet if I got to sit down with you over a meal and talk, I mean, really talk, like past chit-chat, past the surface stuff. And I've been actually getting to do that recently with different sets of people. I would get to know a lot more about you than just the, how are you doing? Good. Yeah. What are you doing? Okay. You know, the quick answers. In fact, I'm going to say this too. We are bringing back something very old school and retro. Just keep an eye out for this, but we're going to bring back Potluck Sunday. Yes. Um, and uh, my wife gave me that idea, so I'm not going to take any credit for it. Very excited though, but it's time to bring out those 1970s Tupperware and put salad in it that comes with chunks and things like that. But just how different it is when we can just sit with each other and talk and listen. There's something about being the body of Christ that way that is amazing. There's something that happens. Jesus Sunday is so sweet, but it's not enough for me. One Sunday is just not enough. I'd want to sit with you guys more than just that time and talk and listen and eat stuff I shouldn't eat, you know, all those things. So, but if we could hear, we would say things like, sometimes we preface our stories like this. You're not going to believe me if I tell you where I've been. And then what does that do? You're like, try me, tell me, I want to know. We all have a journey. We all have a story that has so many twists and turns. And so, and our culture is filled with this. Like think about our, our literature that we study, the Odyssey, you know, Moby Dick, the, the, the Divine Comedy, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, The Hobbit. Everything's about this journey that people are going on and wanting to experience something. We're made for it. Two roads diverged in a wood and I took the one less traveled. And it's made all the difference. Robert Frost, why? Because we look at the one that everybody takes and we're like, mm, what about that one? It looks dangerous and beautiful. Something about it that just makes us want to travel. I think we're wired and made for this. It's almost as if God has put this thing in us, intentionally put this thing in us that makes us unsettled even if you get the job you wanted, even if you're at the school you wanted, even if you have the friends, there's a part of you that says, yeah, but I feel like I've got to go. Like there's something else. He's put it in you. And so today I have made this mistake sometimes reading scripture. And what's, what's neat is when you spend time in God's word. And so in a couple of months, we're going to invite you at the end of this year to join us next year, 2023, in having your own time your own chair time with Jesus. It can look way different. All the people that I know that I'm friends with, everybody's looks different, but I have a chair and I sit in it in the morning. And it's so routine now that my dog Nash, our golden doodle, beats me to the chair sometimes. He's sitting there and he's like, let's go. And I'm like, well, you're gonna have to get out of the chair. That's my chair. I sit down, I open my Bible and it's a cue for him to go find a ball and try to get me to play and do something. And so but I sit there and you know what happens when you sit with the Lord is you start to, you're reading the Bible, but it begins to read you. And you see something on the surface. And today you're going to see, this is the missionary journeys of Paul. This is the church. This is the birth of the church. This is them going out. And it could just look like a history lesson. Oh, great. That's awesome. I'm so glad they did that. Or you can go deeper. And you can look at the journey of Paul as an invitation for you to join Jesus. 
on your own journey. So I want you to approach the text this morning, even if you're just going to listen. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to have one. Uh, Acts chapter 13, you can open up to verse 13 of the 13th chapter, and we will begin travel journal entry 47 AD. Here is what happened with Paul. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left. Should cause you pause when you hear that. John left them and went back home to Jerusalem. I thought we were in this together. He left. They had a choice, but they continued their journey from Perga and they reached Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue sat down after reading the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, you got anything for us? You're from out of town. We see you sitting here in our synagogue. You have a word of encouragement for the people. If you do, go ahead, speak. Question, what if the early church in Jerusalem had just built a building? What if they said, we got this great word from Jesus. We saw him ascend into the clouds and he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But instead we have decided to build a building here in Jerusalem. In fact, we all worked really a long time last night with our scrolls and our, you know, ink pens and quills. And we have written out flyers to pass around the neighborhood of Jerusalem to invite people to come to the building. And then when they come, we're going to sit there and we're going to wait for them to come. And when they come, then we'll tell them. Is that what happened? No, they went, they left, they traveled, they got out there, they set sail. Well, I sure am glad that Paul did the missions thing so I don't have to. Don't do that. Because Sammy told us last week, it's not about going overseas. For some people, yes, but it's about walking out that door. And right back to your house, your family, your coworkers, the people you go to school with, you're supposed to be on mission. Hear Paul's journey, watch him on a journey today and say, what is my journey supposed to look like with Jesus? So right away they run into trouble. And with obedience comes the reality that you're gonna face difficulties. If you say yes to Jesus, for example, if you say yes this, this year to doing a chair time, guess what's gonna happen? You're going to hear that alarm go off and you know what you're going to say? No, no, I don't want to. I'll do it later. Let's say you make it up and you get your coffee or your tea and you're sitting there. And you're like, all right, this is going to be great. And somebody starts crying or the dog brings you the ball, whatever. Like, or you're just distracted and you're like, I don't get this. I don't, I'm not, there's nothing. It's opposition. You're going to face trouble. As soon as you decide to say yes to Jesus, expect it. That's how it works. And so what's the first point of trouble that they have? It's right there in verse 13. Paul and his companions set sail, but John Mark left. And we're going to read more about him in Acts 15, but I want you to know right here, even though it doesn't say it, Paul was very upset about this. Like this was a fight going on later between him and Barnabas. Like there was... It, butting heads over John Mark. Something happened for John Mark to say, I just can't do this. I'm sorry, I'm going home. 
No, I won't go to church with you. I'm tired. I don't want to listen anymore. I don't like those people. I'm not going to do it. So this brings into focus something that you may not have heard. In fact, you probably heard the opposite, except Jesus, and it's all rainbows and ponies, right? If you accept Jesus, know this, following Jesus is hard, difficult. There will be trials. So if this is all you read about John Mark, what are you thinking? Well, think about somebody that you know that isn't following or who's walked away. What do you say? Deserter. That guy just didn't have it in him. He is, he's a tool. That's why he's not here. John Mark, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he just goes back. Do we do this with people? I do this with people. Absolutely. People walk away and I'm like, fine. I knew you weren't part of us. In the like my first response is one of my other growth places is I don't go compassion right away. I go anger. I'm upset. He's a deserter. And you could read that if that was all you knew about John Mark and you thought deserter, he's not following Jesus. Guess what? You would be wrong. John Mark would write the first gospel. Gospel of Mark that you hold in your Bibles, the guy who left, the guy who deserted, the guy who said, I can't do this anymore. He was the first one to write it down. And it was so important what he wrote down that Matthew and Luke said, we want to write gospels too, but uh, hey, Mark, can we see yours? Can we use it as a source? And you'll see in scholarly work, they'll say it's very clear that Matthew and Luke used John Mark's text as a source. That guy was the deserter. That guy walked away. So what does this tell us about people on their journey to Jesus? It takes time. Be patient. Let them go. Sometimes let them go, but don't really let them go. Let there be a place in your heart that says, all right, Lord, get them, <laughs> get them. But I need to trust your work. That doesn't mean that it's not difficult though. It is, it's hard. This past week, uh, it was hard. It was a hard week for me. Not only did I share with you the financial stuff, um, but usually that's always just the first layer of God trying to, this is a little hint too, by the way. If God lets something occur that usually bothers you, he's usually trying to get at a couple of other things. So if there's one thing, don't stop there. Ask, okay, what else? <laughs> what else? We've actually learned in our family, like usually it's a trifecta. It's money, it's health, and relationships. And they all hit at once. And then we're like, okay, we're listening. What do you want to say, Lord? And so this past week, uh, I have this thing happen with my eye when I'm stressed. Uh, and it, just, it feels like I can't even keep it open. And I was sitting in my chair time, trying to be a Christian with Jesus, and I can't even read. And I'm sitting there going, I need to meet with you. And I can't read because of my eye. I need to though. And I was struggling with depending on him, not only for me, but for us. I was also, and thankfully had a good friend, my best friend speak to me and point out some places in my own heart where there was hardness. There was, there was a toughness to my heart on how I was seeing people that maybe I thought were, see ya, walking away. And I didn't want to see that. I didn't want to hear that. But the Lord was saying, you know what you need? 
And it was funny because that morning, the morning I couldn't read, I'm literally like, I'm like turning my Bible and opening it. And it was Philippians and it's Philippians 1. And here's what Paul said. I love you to, to a church, which think about that. I love you, which the whole church I'm sure was like, yes, we love you too. It's a, is that how it works in church? No. Some people are like, so? I love you with the affection of Jesus. And I, I have a, a journaling Bible um, and I last couple of years, so my, every time I read a chapter, I put a dot. And so sometimes I'm like super proud of the dots. Like, so I'm on year two with this Bible and I'm like, Philippians one, rat, dot. I did it. But I read that with the, I love you with the affection of Jesus. And I wrote out to the side, I need this. I need this. I don't have it. But it's the affection of Jesus, not the affection of Chad. That's the key. And so Paul and his companions look at John Mark and he walks away and they don't say, forget you. You're, we're done with you. It's too hard. They say, okay, that's okay. You can walk away. And we're going to stay on mission though. There's a give and take there. And I think it's both and of having compassion, but also staying. Because you could easily, if you've had a family member who walks away, some people do this. Somebody gets hurt in their family. They walk away from the church and the rest of the family says, well, you know what? They were hurt and we love them. And so see ya, we're out of here too. We're not gonna, this is ridiculous. You can't treat people this way. Paul and his friends say, you know what? Let's stay. Let's stay on mission. Do you think there were some conversations between them, some tension after John Mark left? The moment he left, imagine he's walking away from the boat and they're all getting on and maybe Paul's like, well, let's go. Let's, and everybody's sitting there like, uh, I mean, should we, maybe we should just go with him and talk to him. No, we gotta go. Like it's really, it's a tension, it's hard. There's a difficulty there of people not being where you want them to be. How about the ministry part? When they get to the place, it says that on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down and after the reading of the law and the prophets, hey, the Bible is being read. That's pretty good, right? Good start, but guess what? Not enough. You can know the whole Bible. You can memorize it. And Jesus even said it to the Pharisees. It doesn't matter if you know the whole thing. It's not enough. And so Paul and his companions have a choice as they step in here with people to say, let's let them have it. Let's tell them how wrong they are. Is that a tactic in our current cultural moment in the world? Do we go and say, let me understand your position more. I really want to learn and learn from you and understand why you... No, we just... We just throw our stuff, our truth. So let's, help, let's watch how Paul leans in here to a difficult situation with people. Verse 16, Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, fellow Israelites and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors, made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt, led them out with a mighty arm. And for about 40 years, look at this part, he put up with them in the wilderness. Oh, oh. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. And this all took about 450 years. Oh, is that all? After this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. It wasn't God, God's idea. They asked for a king because who was supposed to be their king? God was their king. And they were like, nah, give us another one. We'd rather have Saul. 
And so he gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my will. So what I notice about Paul facing what potentially are religious hearts, but hard, is he doesn't slam them. He doesn't say, you're so off. You're so going to hell. He doesn't light them up. He comes in where they are and he says, hey, let's talk about your past, your journey, which is my journey. It's our, there's common ground in the way that he talks to them. And his words are familiar to them. They know this, some of this history because it's a story about their journey. And that history, what does it show? A long string of failure to follow God. How about this verse, verse 18? He put up with them in the wilderness. How many people would like that said about them? Yeah, that Chad guy, I worked with him for four years. I put up with him. He is a tool. Do you want that in your, do you want anybody saying that about you? No, but it's really cool. I had a college student named Brielle come up afterwards and she was telling me how she'd been reading this passage and so cool. You learn something every day. Um, said another translation for that is he carried them. Ah, there's a little insight into who God is. Put up with them, carried them. Don't mistake God for being fed up with people or not loving them. So how many of us, when it comes to others that we're in relationship with, so we have this very poignant moment between Paul and John Mark and the people, and they're watching him walk away. And so that's a tension moment. How many of us have a long fuse when it comes to relationships? How long or how far can you last if somebody is being a jerk? At what point do you draw the line? Do you say, I've had enough? What will it take? What if somebody's outright rejecting you? I don't want to see you. I don't ever want to talk to you again. Are you going to be like, that's okay. I really love you. And I'm just going to keep pursuing. Is that what we do? No, we usually say, fine, I'm done. Then. I'm out. How long is too long? At what point will even your friends tell you about your pursuit of someone else? Give it up. They're not, they don't like you. They don't want to continue in relationship. Well, how about God? How long does he put up with, carry them? 450 years. 450 years. That's how long. And he goes through all of these things. And they weren't passive in their not wanting him to be their king. They just said it outright. We don't want you as a king. We want this guy, Saul. He's tall. He looks like a king. That's our kind of king. We have a God who is very patient and loving and kind. He's willing to go the long haul with us. So his approach to the people in the synagogue who were reading the law and the prophets, reading the Bible, good job, is to talk about their common history. And I think as they listened to this, they wouldn't have said, don't tell us this. We don't want to hear this. I think there would have been a lot of nodding. Yep, we completely get this. How they were is how we are. Unable to keep the law, not sure what to do. There's a growth process that God is taking the children of Israel through that Paul's recounting, but there's also a growth process that's happening with Paul in this new church synagogue that he's trying to build. 
and I'm learning from it too, of how we need to be with people that don't know him yet. And it's this, sometimes you got to get down in the mud and say, look at this mud. <laughs> look at this mud. It's muddy, isn't it? It's difficult. And they walk back through the failures, walk through the stuff to know before you give the solution to understand where people are. Eventually God says enough or eventually God's plan kicks in at the right moment. It's one or the other. It's either God is putting up with them and he's impatient and then finally he's like, nope, no more of this. Or it's his sovereign plan at work and it like a clock hitting midnight, kink, then it goes. Scripture gives you both. It gives you both. That's the answer. Which one is it? Is it God? Is it us? Yes. Yes, that's the answer. And so I love it. Verse 22 says, he raised up David, which everybody listening at this point, and you should do this too, when they hear that name should go, uh, yeah, but no, he was a man after God's own heart. Well, what do we know about David? Murderer, adulterer multiple wives, a bit of a tool. Did he have some moments that we could say, yeah, a bunch of Psalms that yes. But ultimately, if, is this what we're doing? God has to remove Saul. And then eventually his solution is to pick one guy to be the answer. But everybody in the synagogue at this moment probably was rolling their eyes because David was not the one guy. He did not follow all the will of God. He failed miserably. The problem with verse 22 isn't that God is picking him or that what he said, it's just that David didn't fulfill it. He didn't come up on the other side. So what do we do with the adultery? What do we do with the murder? What do we do with his power grab and his ego? He seems just like everybody else. Seems like the same problem, which brings up this question. What if I'm not a man or woman after God's own heart? If that's God's pick, I need a man or woman after my own heart. What if I'm not? And here's the answer. It's not that I don't, even, I don't think I am. I know I'm not. I know I'm not, which is part of God's strategy here. So I ask this question when I read stuff like this. And when you take things like this, God, David, a man after God's own heart. Okay. Jesus, what else is happening here? Even after 450 years of unfaithfulness and God putting up with, carrying them through this, continuing to be patient with them, it eventually comes down to this. And this is kind of that secret layer underneath where you got to go beyond just the history lesson on the top. And it's this, God decides that it will be one, just one man that has to do it perfectly for everybody to have the opportunity to be saved. It will just take one. So before you get hung up on David's stuff, just carry that thing. And then let's read the last section here. It's, it's a bit longer. We'll get through it. We're almost done before we jump into communion here. So here's Paul kind of bringing it home. From this man's descendant, which you could put in parentheses, from the murderer, adulterer, guy with multiple wives, descendants, as he promised, God brought Israel, the Savior, Jesus. Before his coming to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. 
Now as John was completing his mission, he said, who do you think I am? I am not the one. One is coming after me and I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race and those among you who fear God, which is meaning everybody. That's Jews and that's anybody who fears God. So that includes us. It is to us that this word of salvation has been sent. Since the residents of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize him or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, what did they just do? They read the law and the prophets. And he's just saying, hey, they didn't recognize him either. These people haven't recognized him. They have fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. And when they had carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead and he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we ourselves also proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, Today I've become your father. As to his raising from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. Therefore, he also says in another passage, you will not let your holy one see decay. David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers and decayed. His body was no more, but the one God raised up, Jesus did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Through this one man, it will only take one to do it right. Everyone who believes is justified through him. And they're justified from everything that they were trying to do on their own. From everything you could not be justified through the law of Moses. So beware that what is said in the prophets doesn't happen to you. Look, you scoffers, and this is what the prophet said, marvel and vanish away because I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. Just a few thoughts. Paul says so a lot of stuff there, but really amazing stuff about Jesus. Verse 27, they didn't recognize him or connect him to the readings they read every week. 28, they asked him to be killed. Verse 29, they carried out everything that had been written about him. They took him down from the tree. They put him in a tomb. They said, we are finished with you. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. God appeared alive. God fulfilled the promises in raising up the son of David. And God will give you the holy and sure promises through David, the greater David the son of David, Jesus. So here is Paul's kind of narrowing it down. He's walked them through their history. He's got them nodding their heads going, yep, we know that, we can't do that. I don't think I have a heart after God. And then he says, you either hold to your own record, your record, or you accept his. The line of spiritual descendants in David, the train wreck, you keep that, you're in deep trouble but there is really good news in Jesus. John the Baptist knew this and he said a phrase and this jumped out to me. And it's one I put in here. I think it's, if you want an important phrase to say in the year 22 in your life, something to say every day, here it is. I am not the one. 
but he is. I am not the one, but he is. God did this by raising up Jesus. I am not the one. Christ is Christianity. It doesn't work without him. He is the good news. Or is it you? Do you say, I am the one. I can do this. I can get this done. Or do you say, I am not the one. The good news is not that we can keep these laws if we work hard enough. The good news is not that we finally found a king who is mostly good. Or not that we all get graded into heaven on a curve. That's not the good news. The good news is that Jesus has accomplished everything perfectly. The life you were supposed to live, the life that you're supposed to be living right now, he lived it. The death that we all deserve because of our sins and separation from God, he died that death and then rose and conquered death. 38, through this man, forgiveness of sins. So Paul does this thing here at the end, which I love because if you ever, uh, nobody does this anymore because we have GPS and we just say, hey Siri, directions to blah, blah, blah. And we get them. And anybody remember asking directions for people before GPS? And you ever have this one? Okay, so you're gonna go down this road. I don't know what it's called, but it's this one. And you're gonna take a right. And, and then you'll see this tree and you'll take a left. Then you're going to go around, and you've got to do this with your head when they're doing it. You're going to go around this bend, and you'll see this big house, but that's not the one. You ever have that? <laughs> that's not the one. Don't do that one. And you'll, you may see Mrs. Smith. You can wave to her. And then you go around, and then this is the spot. You cannot miss it. And we do miss it, don't we? <laughs> you come back around. You cannot miss it. Here's what Paul is doing. And he, when he points out what the prophet said, he said, here is the spot on the map on your journey that you must end up at. It's Jesus. You cannot miss this. You must not miss this. Don't drive past and have yourself saying what the prophet said about the other people. They went past and eventually God gave them over to their own wish and desire not to know him. And now they can't even believe even if somebody were to tell them. Don't miss this spot. I'm going to have those who are serving communion go ahead and come forward and begin passing. So I, this is here because I, uh, last week I was sitting over there worshiping and it was a big distraction to me. Like I was trying to worship. I'm like trying to look up here and I kept noticing this. And you may say, well, I've seen that many times. And you may even have like a, a little cross around your neck, or you may have, you know, a, a nice logo on your Bible or something where it's like, it's tame. It's there. But as I sat there and worshiped, what I kept noticing was it's life-size. It's, it's actually the size of a person, a person could be on there. It's life-size. And I, so I was singing, but every once in a while I would just look, I would look back up and I would be like, I kept picturing Jesus on it. It's a really powerful experience for me. And it's a symbol. This is a symbol. But this morning, I want, I want you to have that in your mind. I want you to think about it because it is life-size. 
And it is the perfect size for us. But we have a Savior who said, I'll do that for them. I like to start in the Old Testament when we do this meal together. And I also have recently kind of just been brought to my mind that they did not have these little cups in the first century church. They did not have this little square thing in the, <laughs> that doesn't, they had dinner. And you would go to somebody's house and you would sit down over a normal meal. But then it would be, you know what? This is going to be a Jesus meal tonight. We're going to remember him. We're going to remember what he did. I love that. Potluck Sunday, let's go. I love that. I want to share those. That's what this is supposed to be. It's a place for you to remember what he did for you. And so the same way that Paul did, it's important for us to connect the history, the journey from the old to the new. And so Isaiah, who, by the way, as a prophet, never in his whole ministry experienced success. Think about that. You want to talk about being hard and having no compassion for people? Every right for Isaiah to be like, I'm done talking to these people. No! Instead, he writes this. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance in him that we should even desire him. He was despised and rejected. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people looked at and turned away. He was despised. We didn't value him. And here's where Isaiah said, oh, I don't want to say this because they don't care. God, they don't care what I'm saying. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. We, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But the truth, the life-size cross, he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment so that we could have peace was on him. And if we're willing, we are healed by his wounds. Yet we're like sheep who just run. We go astray, we turn to our own way. But even in that running, God has punished him for our running. As we're running away, God is punishing him for our running, for our iniquity. So when Jesus sat down for this meal, First of all, it wasn't the first one. You know, he was at the first one, Passover. He was there. And it says, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. You could smell it being baked quickly in Egypt. They're standing, staffs in hands, backpacks on their backs. They know they got to run. But they're standing there with this meal and they have taken blood and smeared it over the lintel of their door frames so that when the Spirit of God passes through, he goes to one house and he says, covered, covered 
not covered. Why? How can you reject so great a salvation? So he takes the bread, breaks it, and you know there was part of him. And we don't know how it worked with his humanity and his divinity, but a part of him that said, finally, finally, here we are. It's been a long time. We're here. Gave it to them and said, oh, people, take it. Take it. The one man, it only takes one man. Take it and eat. This is his body broken for you. Let's partake together. imagine the room lit by oil lamps, faint shadows behind them on the walls. Jesus picks up the cup. The light catches the surface, the glint of red, dark liquid. And just oh, knows what's about to happen. Knows what's about to happen. And so it's no small thing for him when he said, and this, this is my blood of the covenant. And he could have said, about to be poured out for you, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I'll tell you one other thing, I'm not going to drink this again until that day when we are gathered around the biggest table in the history of tables in the best banquet and the best food when the kingdom of God is together. And we, those who know him, will raise our glasses to the king, to the king. Let's partake together. So we're going to do something as we sing. And what do you know? Verse 30, it says, after this, they sang. Pretty cool. Um, during this last song, again, this is a symbol, just like this is a symbol, but it's a way for us to honor him, to reverently show our love for him. And so if you feel so inclined, um, this area right up here is open. I encourage you, come and kneel at the cross as a way just to say you love him, that you long for him, that you're tired of being the one, you're tired of trying to be the one, that your heart is broken and not after his, but that you're so thankful that he's after you. <laughs> you can also do that from your seat. You know, there's no pressure there, but um, just something different that we don't usually do, a way for us to show something outwardly of what we are experiencing inwardly. As we sing, I also want you to keep in mind that as they sang this song, Jesus was about to go to Gethsemane, and this would start the clock for his death. So very powerful moment for our Savior and for those who are with them. Uh, and let's allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us now. <laughs> 